We left off in uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse uh, 34, and we had just gone through uh, the scripture where uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, and so uh, now uh, uh, Philip is going to expand on what's, what's been spoken here, or what, what he's speaking about. Uh, but let's go back into the context a little bit, just because it's been, what, two weeks since we've <laughs> been here together and read through. Uh, And so go back to verse 26. It says there, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, uh, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some men should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him, and the place of this place of the scripture which he read was this: He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began uh, at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And they went on their way and they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both uh, down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught up Philip, caught away Philip, uh, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, uh, and passed through, uh, passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so we'll get back into uh, the exposition of this Old Testament scripture. And we'll go back again uh, and just kind of read from Isaiah uh, what the scripture actually says. Now, we talked about it last week when we were, not last week, two weeks ago, whenever we were here, um, that this verse, you read the or the uh, King James version of this verse is going to sound a lot different than what uh, Philip or, or what the eunuch was reading here because the eunuch was reading from the Septuagint. And we'll break that down uh, as we go into it. But let's bound a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and uh, grateful again for the, the pleasure we have of being back together. Uh, and there are those times that we're apart and we're doing different things and uh, we miss each other when we're, we're not around, uh, at least most of us. <laughs> and we're, we're grateful for that opportunity uh, that we have not, not just on Sundays, but um, different days of the week 
knowing that we're part of the same body, that we're attached uh, to the same head, that we belong uh, to the same body of Christ. And by that, uh, we have common mind, uh, we have fellowship, we have many things that we share together in Christ. And so as we uh, come to this day that we commemorate as a church to, to fellowship together, uh, we are grateful for that. Uh, we're grateful for the word and, uh, and the contents of it. Uh, and to just be able to see the development of the early church and all the different trials and tribulations that they went through uh, so that we could have a better understanding of what it's like to live by grace and to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so we're grateful to be beneficiaries of this. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. And so going back to verse 32 is kind of where this starts. Uh, and so remember... The Ethiopian eunuch is riding along and he's coming back from Jerusalem and this quest or journey that he's uh, gone to there. And I believe it had a lot to do with uh, more of religious purposes than than uh, um, any kind of business purposes. But you see him coming back and he's reading from this scroll in Isaiah. And he uh, Philip is brought there by the Holy Spirit at just the right time. And we talked about this before, how. Hey, if the Holy Spirit hadn't told him to leave right when he did and and he hadn't been obedient to the Holy Spirit, he would have missed this opportunity to see the eunuch in the desert. And so you see, again, very active is the Holy Spirit in the lives of these individuals. But then you see the eunuch just reading. Right. And he's doing like many people that read the Bible and don't understand the contents of it. And you see this especially with people that are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. How do you have any ability to understand what scripture is saying if the Holy Spirit doesn't open your eyes to it? Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 before we get started. I don't remember if I did this last time, but this is just jumping off my notes here. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, I will tell you That you and I can't even understand scripture if we're carnal and if the Holy Spirit is not uh, there to dictate and and open our eyes to what's going on in scripture. And I'm going to go go to one more verse after this one just to expound on that. But in first Corinthians chapter two and pick it up in verse eight or verse nine, he says, uh, but as it is written, I it's not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for the ones loving him. But God hath revealed them unto us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, uh, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that, or which is out from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us from God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, compare, comparing spiritual things to spiritual now, as you look at the world, right, you look at the Greeks, and, and uh, Paul talks about it here in 1 Corinthians, the Greeks want to go after knowledge, right? They want to look at all the information that's available and be able to use their rationale in order to understand, right? And what do the Jews require? They require a sign. They want to be shown something to say that this is valid, 
right? Something supernatural has to happen in order for them to understand that this is something valid. But we as believers have the Holy Spirit that's able to take these things that we see in Scripture and make them real to us. So think about that as you're thinking about this eunuch and his conversation with Philip where he's just reading this scroll and this is just words on a paper, right? They don't mean anything to him. He doesn't know what he's even reading about. And he's honest about it. And he says, how can I accept someone reveal it to me? Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, as you're thinking about this also, and I alluded to it there a second ago, the believer can't even understand scripture if we're not in the right place spiritually. These will just be words on a page, as it were. Now, uh, the author here of Hebrews wanted to reveal deeper information to these Hebrew saints, and he couldn't, right? Because anything that he would have revealed to them would not have been received because of their spiritual condition. And so pick it up in verse 5. It says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him out from death, and was heard in that he feared, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And be, uh, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Of, boy, of Melchizedek. I can speak, I promise you. <laughs> Verse 11. Of whom, speaking of Melchizedek, we have many things to say. And hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. You see, that is not hard for him to disclose what's happened. It would be hard for them to understand it because of their spiritual condition. Right? And so there was much more revelation that he could have given concerning Melchizedek. Verse 12, for when at the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. You see, in their spiritual condition, I think that the very basic principles concerning how to live this Christian life, which we see that they received before as you get over to chapter 10, they were unable to receive currently because they weren't in the right place spiritually. And so the Holy Spirit couldn't have made those things more evident to them. It would have just been words on a page, just like Philip here is reading in this context. And it would have had no uh, spiritual impact uh, to them. And so as you see Philip reading here, he's reading a scripture. Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, as you see him reading, he's reading in a place that is very pertinent to what he needs to know. Right. He's reading about the very one that is able to bring salvation. So he's in the right place. He just needs someone to clarify what's going on here. Uh, and we I think the last time we were here uh, looked at Romans chapter 10. Let's go back there one more. These might be in my notes. <laughs> Sometimes I get going off of my notes and from memory and skip over things that are there. But if if they are, we'll just skip over them when we get there. Uh, but go to Romans chapter 10. And I'm an axe for some reason. Romans chapter 10.
And you see, God does not have to use men to reveal things to them, but you sometimes get the pleasure of God utilizing you in order to clarify things concerning scripture and, and concerning salvation uh, often as well. And we see that. We could also go over to, uh, uh, I'm going to stop going to so many <laughs> outside verses, but uh, pick it up in verse uh, 8. It says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is a word of faith, which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt be, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him out from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is over all, or over all is rich unto all that calleth upon him. For whatsoever or whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or one heralding uh, the, the good news there? And so you see, uh, God can use, certainly if you had a Bible, right, just sitting around and someone's reading the gospel, they could read that and say, boy, I believe these facts. This is true, right? But ultimately, God used a man to write those words on the page, right? And so God does use men, actually, to bring forth uh, his message and what he wants people to hear. Then lastly, I want to, one more aside, go with me over to First Peter. This is the last one, I promise. First Peter chapter two. No, I'm in Second Peter. I thought that looked weird. Chapter 3, excuse me, in verse 15. Um, and go back just a little bit into the context of verse 8. First Peter 3, uh, 8. And he says there, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil, or, uh, evil for evil or railing for railing, but uh, contrary wise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? 
But if you, uh, but but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But contrarywise here, so he's he's telling you the posture that one should have as they're walking through this life with the anticipation that other people are watching, right? So our anticipation in this life, as you look at Christians, mostly in Christendom, what is it? It's yep, 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 yep. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, look at me, look at how I behave, and then people look at them and see their life and they say, well... You're a Christian, and that's what Christianity is about? No thanks, I'll I'll keep living the way I live over here. It's basically the same thing, right? And so verse 15, he says, But sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks uh, you for a reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear, right? And so the posture of the believer is in a place where his life is bearing out and showing forth what it looks like to be a Christian. And as your life bears that out and shows that forth, the Holy Spirit can actually use you. Right. And so here you see Philip in the proper posture. Right. And he's just guided to a place by the Holy Spirit. He has no idea why he's going out here. And he goes out and he finds this man that's reading scripture very pertinent to salvation and he asked him right philip didn't have to go up to him and say boy what are you reading there you need to really hear the gospel no it's it's the perfect intersection of time that the holy spirit aligns so go back with me then to chapter 8 of acts chapter 8 And in verse uh, 32, we see the place of scripture where he read was he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth and his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee. Of whom speaketh the the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? You see, he's very unaware of what this scripture is about. And you see that very clearly from his question, right? If you understand scripture, you would have very obviously known that Isaiah is not talking about himself. That's the confusion that he has here. And so obviously this is pointing to some other man. Now, Philip is going to be able to declare who that man is to him in verse 34. And so the request for interpretation is provided from the eunuch. The eunuch requests his request belies the truth of his complete lack of understanding regarding the verse. He had not or had been reading on his own prior to Philip's appearance. And uh, he has previously stated his philosophy of the inability to understand scripture without interpretation. And so what is he needing here? He's needing guiding (laughs) into understanding what this scripture is about. And so he supplicates to Peter. uh, This is not your normal word for ask here. Uh, As we we ask something, we uh, ask from a lesser to a greater is a part of communication that we see in Scripture and mostly that which relates to God. Here he's supplicating to Peter or 
I keep saying Peter, Philip, he's begging him, please, I'm at a complete loss. I don't understand. I need help for you to guide me into what this scripture is talking about. And he has a true thirst and desire to understand. You see, a lot of times we go to people who have no desire to hear what we're saying to them, right? And we just pick someone out. Boy, this looks like a nice person. I would like to see him saved or her saved. So I'm going to tell them the gospel. And guess what? They didn't even ask for it. <laughs> and they, they look at you like you have two tails. And this is what this whole philosophy of going out and proselytizing the world leads to because they didn't ask for it. But when they ask for it and the situation is right and the Holy Spirit has led you to this person, you're going to be able to clarify things for them and the light is going to come on, right? And it's going to be a wonderful experience for them. It's not something that we have to force. And here you see the start of the Holy Spirit working within people in this manner. So the eunuch request, uh, the eunuch's request seeks clarity on the subject of this citation. And so we know, looking back on it, this is Isaiah this speaking, and he's speaking concerning Jesus. And this is going to be clarified here shortly for the eunuch. Now, we also see that the eunuch's request provides the opening uh, necessary for the gospel. Now, I told you guys, sometimes uh, in my mind, I skip ahead. There's 1 Peter 3, <laughs> 3.15 right there in my notes. So if I would have just went along, I'd arrive there anyway. Uh, but we also see a similar opening provided on, on Mars Hill. Uh, now, this one, I want to uh, kind of notify you guys. Sometimes there's going to be an opening for you to give the gospel, and it's not for that person to believe, right? <laughs> Paul found himself on Mars Hill, and they have the opening. Why? Because there's this unknown God there, and he says, wow, this is a perfect opportunity for me to declare that one. Right. Is the one that they've been looking for. Well, let's see how that turns out. Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. Now, remember, Paul's mindset as he's coming in here, he's not in the best of places spiritually, I would say. He's probably a little unsettled. And he's walking around, he's looking at all of these gods and all of these inscriptions. And what does it say? His spirit was stirred up within him, right? Because he sees all of this pagan worship going on. Now, uh, the pastor and Scott, you guys went over to Greece. Did you see a lot of this pagan type stuff? Was your spirit stirred up within you? Did you guys want to go and declare unto these people who the true and living God was? <laughs> well, hey, Brother Scott accomplished it, but maybe he felt a little like Paul feels here. In verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now, this word for superstitious actually has the idea here of serving or worshiping demons. Right? And so this is, again, how you win friends over. In verse 23, he says, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you. And so what is he saying here? You've got this inscription here to this God that you don't know just so you can cover all of your bases. Well, guess what? This one over here 
is the God that I'm declaring unto you today. In verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You see, there's nothing at all wrong with what Paul is saying here. Everything is true, right? Every single bit of it. This God that they're worshiping, worshiping ignorantly is way bigger than the construct that they're trying to put him in. They're saying, hey, he needs a temple for us to meet him at and worship. This is something the Jews were even ignorant of, right? The temple is nothing. It's more for men than it is for God. Uh, and this, this is the God that created all things. Verse 25, uh, neither is worship with men's hands. Oh, it's read that. Verse 26, and have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far uh, from every one of us. Now, the picture he's giving here, uh, you can go a little bit into the verbiage of what he's saying there, but it's like someone groping around in the dark that can't see or like a blind man that's feeling around for his glasses, trying to put them on and he can't find them. Right. God, that is men seeking after God. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he uh, hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And so here he's declaring Jesus, right? This is who God has put forth to establish righteousness on this earth. And it's by faith in him that this is accomplished. Right. And that you believe that he rose out from the dead. Verse 32. When they heard the resurrection of the dead. Here's your reaction. Right. That you should suspect. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four and verse four. In whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them uh, that would believe uh, or lest they should believe the uh, glorious facts of the gospel. Here some mocked right that's their reaction to hearing the gospel what kind of fool believes that someone could raise from the dead what's wrong with you and others said we will hear thee again on this matter so there were some potentially interested possibly not you know sometimes you have telemarketers at your door and you say well call me back on another day and then you're never there to answer the phone when you see that number again. Uh, maybe some did want to hear again. We, we don't know. Verse 33, so Paul departed uh, from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among uh, the which was Dionysius, the uh, Areopagite, uh, and a woman named Damaris, 
and others with them. So you see, uh, here's the opportunity, right, that's provided. Now, I think Paul did a lot of this on his own, but I think the Holy Spirit used that, right, for a small segment of these people to believe. Now, Paul went into it with grand intentions, right? I'm going to preach this God, this unknown God, and they're going to believe. Well, a few did, right? Most of them, most of them didn't. Uh, but you see this opportunity that's provided here again in, in, uh, to Philip back in chapter 8. Uh, here you see a grand opening, and it's to one person to be able to preach the gospel. Now, as he asked that question, who is this verse speaking to? Here's the grand opening for him to declare Jesus, right? The one that is this verse is pointing to that is going to be taken from this earth. But we know that he's raised again. Now, uh, you guys have run out of notes there. So we'll pick back up next week. I didn't think I'd make it this far. Uh, But in verse 35, we see the answer of Philip. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him who? Jesus. Right. So a lot of times in interactions with people, we've grown accustomed to just talking. Right. Where I've even in in the unsaved world uh, started to learn a lot that communication with people is more about asking questions than it is making definitive statements. Right. When you ask someone a question, it gives them the opportunity to give you information. When we tell them things, we're only going to get certain information that we're looking for from what we've told them. Here he asked an open ended question. Do you understand what you're reading? And it gave the opportunity for the Ethiopian eunuch to open and be honest and say, no, I have no idea. I have no clue. But I would like to know. Right. And so here's the opportunity for Philip. And he begins to speak concerning Jesus. And so this idea here of opening his mouth, he did not open his mouth again until the Ethiopian eunuch had set up the opportunity for him to declare who this verse was about. And Philip utilized the same scripture the eunuch was reading to provide the message of the gospel. And so there was enough evidence in Isaiah chapter 53 to provide the occasion for Philip to tell how Jesus filled this role, right? This one that was being spoken about, this one that you've been reading about here, he was a real man. He has come He died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. And he's now seated at the right hand of God. The suffering of Jesus was foretold, but the resurrection had to be added as a part of this message. And so as you look back to that uh, verse in chapter 53 of Isaiah, it's speaking of the suffering, right? And the death of Christ and that he's taken from this earth. But it doesn't tell about the resurrection. And so here's a perfect opportunity again for Philip to expound on that piece of it. Now, the absence of the book of First Corinthians at this time meant that those would test those meant those would testify concerning the resurrection of the son were important to the validity of the gospel. Now, go over there with me uh, in First Corinthians chapter 15. And it says something interesting here beyond the gospel. It's not just the facts of the gospel that are important here in the early church. It was the testimony of those that had seen or heard of the resurrection uh, that made a big difference. And so pick it up in verse one of chapter 15. 
He says there, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also receive, how that Christ died on behalf of our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, see, seen, there's that testimony, uh, then of the twelve. And so here's Peter and the rest of the twelve having seen him resurrected with their own eyes. And after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. See, all that would call themselves or be called apostles, they saw the Lord. And last of all, he was seen also or seen of me also as a one born out of due time. Now, this, I think, is not him just saying, hey, I saw the Lord while he was here when I was a Jew and I was likely one of the ones that was persecuting him. I think this is his seeing of him after he was resurrected. Now, you can definitely say he saw him on the road to Damascus. But what did he see there? Did he see a person? No, he saw a light that <laughs> was above the, the light of the noonday sun. And so I think this points closer to what he's talking about over in Galatians when he says, look, I, I wasn't given information by men. <laughs> I received it directly from the Lord. Uh, and so uh, we see this here. But uh, he was seen. All of these apostles, all of these who saw this were witnesses and could testify concerning the resurrection of the Lord. And then you see people that talked to them and spoke to them and are able to, by extension, also say, hey, we can verify that there are people living right now that saw him resurrected. Now, what you want to do with that is up to you. But uh, there are witnesses to it. Now, as we see Philip, he gospelized Jesus. And so as you go back to chapter 8 and verse 35, it says that Philip opened his mouth and began uh, at the same scripture and preached. Now, this word for preached is not our word for preach. A very different word here. It's the word for deliver the gospel. And so gospelize, as you were, you, uh, you, I'm missing my word, <laughs> you angelizo. I had it in my mind. I was thinking I was saying the wrong thing. And so this idea here is uh, of preach is to basically gospelize. I can coin a, a verb there. It's, it's to preach the gospel, right? And so we see this word used several other places uh, just in this same chapter. In verse 4, it's used of the action of believers after being scattered as a result of persecution. So go back to, to verse 4 of chapter 8. And remember uh, that we're coming off of chapter 7, where this horrible uh, killing of Stephen has happened. And now Paul is emboldened to go after these believers and wants to persecute them. And what is the posture of the church? In verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, 
they uh, that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching or gospelizing as they went. Now, as you're running for your life, would it be your first reaction to say, hey, what about this guy, Jesus? Right? No, most people are in to say, I got to get the heck out of here and I need to hide somewhere. They're not going to be thinking about preaching the gospel, but these believers were, right, as they were led by the Holy Spirit. Not that they were super believers, not that there was anything special about them, but they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to preach the gospel. Now, in verse 12, we see the action of Philip relating to the kingdom of God when he was in Samaria was to gospelize. And so pick it up in verse 9, it says, but there was a certain man called Simon which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power from God. And to him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, gospelizing the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And so you see the effects of the gospel on these people in Samaria. And we saw it before that it was a bigger impact than that fake uh, witchery and sorcery that Philip was or uh, that uh, uh, Simon was doing before. And then in verse 25, uh, we see that uh, the action of the apostles after the incident with Simon uh, and so remember, Simon had desired to uh, have the gift uh, that he could lay his hands on uh, people and they receive uh, the Holy Spirit. In verse 24, it says, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord uh, on my behalf that none of these things which you have spoken should come upon me. And they went uh, and they, when they had testified pre and preached the word of the Lord, uh, returned to Jerusalem and gospelized the gospel. It says preach the gospel there, but you could just basically say they gospelized, right? They went forth gospelizing in many villages of the Samaritans. And so as they're on their way back to Jerusalem, the hotbed, the center of persecution, they're preaching or gospelizing the whole way through. And so you see uh, here as, as Philip is talking back and forth with this eunuch, he is giving him the gospel, right? He is declaring the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And I think involved in that are all elements of, of the gospel. Now we see the uh, protagonists of the gospel message. Um, uh, looking here is uh, Jesus speaking to uh, Yeshua, uh, that name in, in the Hebrew. And so he declared unto him the human person, the personality of Jesus. He didn't declare to him the deity concerning Jesus. He declared that there was this man that walked the earth named Jesus, who this scripture is testifying to in uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And so the name provided uh, to the second person of the God Godhead at his incarnation. And so if we went back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. You see that he was to be called Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people from his, from not his sins, from their sins, right? And so uh, this is the name given to him. The name that has been given to the person of Jesus is above all other names. And so uh, go with me over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10. So as you think about 
not the name Jesus, but this character that's been given to this person uh, in his resurrected state is above all the rest. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10. Now, as you think about it, as he took on this name, Jesus, as he took upon himself, this body, he became just like any one of us. Right. And I like the way the pastor often says it, that if you would have seen Jesus walking this earth, there was nothing about him to make him stand out from anybody else just by looking at him. Right. He looked just like any other person. Right. Except maybe his ethnicity <laughs> looked a little different in that regard. But he didn't. There was no glow around about him. Right. All you could see was the actions and things that he did. And I think and uh, the pastor has been working on it. And I think we'll be able to be proven that his actions were dictated by the Holy Spirit in the realm of his humanity. I don't think many times he accessed his true deity. He walked around and lived like a man. Right. And just like these apostles were able, able to do things by the power of the Holy Spirit, he, during his earthly ministry, did those things that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here you see in his resurrected state, he's something different, right? He's joined his humanity to his deity, and now you can fully see it, and he has been given a reputation that's above all. Uh, pick it up in verse 1, uh, verse uh, verse four, he says, look not to every man unto his own things, but every man also unto the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, that word robbery there doesn't mean a lot to us in the way that it's used there. We think of robbery as somebody going and snatching something. But he didn't think of his deity as something that needed to be seized or cling to. He was willing to relinquish it. Right. Uh, uh, and the outward manifestation of that that deity. Uh, verse five or excuse me, verse seven, but made himself of no reputation and took up on him the form, the outward form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, wherefore God has exalted him and given him a name or a character there, which is above every name, that at the name belonging or character here, remember, the name is just speaking of a character, reputation, what you're known as. Uh, of Jesus or belonging to Jesus that every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory to the glory of God the Father and so here you see in his glorified and resurrected state that he's gained a place and a reputation that is above all and that at his name or reputation Every one of us uh, shall bow. Uh, now, Philip's focus was to uh, was to relate Jesus as the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy and to further identify him as a savior through resurrection. Now, as we come back next week, we're going to look at the baptism of the eunuch and what that meant and then look at the transfer of Philip by the Holy Spirit to his next mission. And so we'll close out there today. Father, we're uh, grateful uh, again for the opportunity that we have to see uh, the Holy Spirit working mightily through men, just as he worked through your son uh, when he was here. 
uh, on the earth and uh, that he laid the foundation for us to be able to uh, operate in the way that, that we uh, do and we see that in the early church but we also see it now in that uh, we don't have to guess, we don't have to uh, go and, and make up things that we know uh, or that we think would be desirable to you but that your Holy Spirit as we're tuned in with him uh, is able to lead us into those things that you desire for, for, from us and we see that they're able to have real impact it's not like uh, Simon, who was doing things of his own and wanted to uh, accomplish things on his own and then had to be taught the right way by the apostles, that uh, these things are led by the Holy Spirit. It's that uh, we can clearly see what you desire from us and that we can clearly walk in those things. And it's going to be true power as opposed to fake convoluted things that we make up. We're so grateful for that. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.